Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on to the reading of our text this morning. Proverbs chapter 18. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. We'll be beginning in verses 15, verse 15 and ending verse 21. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, if you've been following along with us, we have been journeying through the book of Proverbs. We've been looking for real wisdom for real life. What is real life? Real life is the full accumulation of all of the good and all of the bad things that happen to you and that you happen inside of, that you participate in. It's the, poopy, it's the poop on your hands from changing a poopy diaper of a squirming baby. It's the same argument you've had with your spouse for the last nine years. It is repeated uh, joy after joy. It's the mountaintop experiences. It's the financial despair. It's, it's the resolution of the conflicts. It's everything. That's real life. And what we've been going through at, in the book of Proverbs is seeking real wisdom for those moments in life and through the duration of life. So three weeks ago, we kind of introed the series. We talked about wisdom requiring a heart change that only Christ can give, that only Jesus, wisdom personified, right? Like the kid's side portion of the family service, that wisdom is a person and that person is Jesus Christ. And we saw that we have a heart change that only Jesus can make in our lives. Last week, we heard from Parker and Parker walked us through what Proverbs has to say about work. And he quoted Charles Spurgeon, which if you've not heard Charles Spurgeon yet, then you've not been coming very long because it's pretty much every Sunday we loved we, we love we love Chuck Spurgey over here. So he, he quoted Spurgeon and he basically said this quote, if I be idle or lazy, let it be seen in my field or my garden, but never in my soul. So we looked at the idea of work and not being idle, not just at work and in our careers, but, but working on our relationships with one another, with our husbands and wives, our families, and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, we are diving into the subject of the third W, words. We're looking at words this morning. Words are all around us. They compromise of everything that we know how to communicate, everything we know how to understand from, from a sign that tells you whether or not you're going to the men's or the women's room to what you're going to eat next when you go to the restaurant from the menu. Words are all around us. They are involved in everything that we do. We are not like monkeys or lizards or or. Komodo dragons, that they, they, they have ways of communicating when they're hungry, when they're tired, when they're angry. God has given us the gift of words and speech to be able to communicate those things as well as our passions, our desires, our hurts, our loves, all of these things. Wisdom, I'm sorry, words are a gift. And I was doing some research on, on the prevalence of words, and this statistic um, blew my mind. According to Pew Research Center, it's an internet, internet research company, um, the amount of words that you will encounter on a single day, now mind you, this isn't like that you'll read. If you read this amount of words in a single day, you're a genius. You would encounter, either through conversation or billboards or scrolling through your phone or television or whatever, audible, visual words, half a million, 500,000 words in a single day. That's a lot of information for your fleshy computer to compute through throughout the day. 
And it may be even more elevated now because we are in an election year. This year, you, you have the beautiful ability and, and the by the grace of God, you have the privilege to sit down through every form of social media and news outlet and just be berated with politics. Like, it's the greatest time of the year. Once every four years, you get to get all of this politicizing, like, rammed down into your brain, and then hopefully it makes you decide or hopes you decide who you want to vote for to be the next president of the United States. And we don't just consume words. We don't just interact with words on a one-way street. It is actually a two-way street because we can speak them as well. When we speak our words, the statistic is a little bit smaller. Some people it's a little bigger, some people it's a little smaller. 10,000 words a day on average is what you will speak. And you will have an even more beautiful way of not just speaking, but actually getting to speak your mind and your values by walking out of a polling booth this year and voting and getting an I Voted sticker. So go vote. There are people who died for the fact that we can go and use our words and our, our hearts to go and make a decision. So do that. Um, but words are everywhere. They are all around us. Social media is one place where we constantly see words, no matter how much you scroll or whatever. And what is an insane statistic is that, I'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> You're on the, it got you on the hook there. You're waiting. So we're looking at the idea of words. And if we're looking for real wisdom, for real life, we basically see, you know what? I am going to go into the social media thing. You're going to hear me talk about social media a lot this morning because it's part, I'm a millennial. I grew up with a computer that basically would play The Sims for like a half hour and then it would die. And then we'd go outside and skate or climb a tree. And we grew up with the internet. As it grew up, it got better and faster as we got older. And now Everything is available at your fingertips, and it's all surrounding words. Just yesterday, I was on Facebook, and I saw, you know, this is usually the rundown of how it goes in terms of words and what's going to get us to our fork in the road this morning. Post with an opinion, whether it's right or wrong, someone posts it because they want to make their voice known and heard. And then we have two or three comments of, I disagree with this, or that's not right. And then you get another backlash, and then within like two seconds, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments of, yeah, well, your mom is dumb and nobody likes you and you should go crawl back under the rock and hey, do you even know how to read? I mean, death threats happen in the Facebook comment section. I'm for real, you should look that up, it's terrifying. What are we, what are we doing with our words? We, we, have, we have this power as the text that was read to you this morning that was given to us as a gift, much more than just being able to communicate more than when we're hungry, happy, or tired, or angry. God has given us a gift that, that can actually bring things to life or to death, that we can speak life into someone's, into someone's heart, into their soul, good news in a good season, or we can choose to speak death. That the tongue that is inside of your mouth is a powerful gift from God. We have an option, as Solomon tells us, again, to take two paths. A couple weeks ago, it was fear the Lord or forsake the Lord and do not seek after him. With work, it's work diligently or be slothful and don't earn anything. Again, we're given two paths with our words. We can speak life or we can speak death. And the big idea that we're going to be looking at through the lens of everything this morning is this. Having the wisdom of Christ right? Wisdom personified. Having the wisdom of Christ means, if we want to speak life, speaking the love of Christ. Those two things cannot be separated from one another. All right, you can't, you can't have the, the uh, em emotional and mental and spiritual wisdom of Solomon and be an emotional, mental 12-year-old. Like, those things don't go together. You have to be able to I'm sorry, you, you can't have the wisdom of Christ and then constantly uh, berate your brother or your sister in Jesus Christ and talk poorly about them and gossip and slander and all those things. 
Those things are paired together. If you have the wisdom of Christ, it means that you are speaking the love of Christ. So what we're going to look at this morning, and I've had great help with a great help from a book by a man named Dr. David Jeremiah. He has a book called Principles from Proverbs, and he, he basically spells out exactly what we're going to walk through this morning. So if you want to look up more information on this, you can check out his book. And also, I'm citing it so it's not plagiarism. So we're going to look at the two ideas of what speech looks like. See, we've seen life and death and the power of the tongue. You can, we have a tongue that builds up or a tongue that breaks down. And we're going to look at what kind of speech uh, is comprised in each of those and what that builds up to look like. So let's start with the tongue that breaks down. A tongue that breaks down. This is a picture of a guy named Bubba Watson. Can you raise your hand if you know who Bubba Watson is? All right, a few people, a few golfers in here. I did not know who Bubba Watson was until, if, until last week when I was looking for an illustration for this sermon. For those of you who know me, um, I'm about as far removed from sports as we are from the sun right now. So. This is Bubba Watson. He's an American pro golfer. He plays on the PGA Tour. He's one of the few lefties in the game. He has won multiple major championships with victories in the 2012 and the 2014 Masters. Last March, he was mid-swing, about to drive this golf ball. And like right before he hit it, someone was behind the rope over there and they were heckling. So like he was about to swing and like, and the guy, Bubba looks over and he still completes his swing and makes like a fantastic shot. And he turns around, and the whole thing's on Twitter, you can watch it. He turns around, and he says, hey, buddy, if you could be quiet next time, that would be great. And then the, the guy, the heckler says something, you don't know, it. it's all muffled. You'd be the ball next time, it'd be great. And then you're wondering what in the world's going on. And then Bubba says this line. He says, it's funny to me how brave people get when they're behind the rope. It's funny to me how brave people are behind the rope. He's talking about the rope that the people stood behind to watch the, the game go on. And what we see in the book of Proverbs is, is pretty much that. A tongue that breaks down is like a heckler. A tongue that breaks down only serves the purpose of being safe behind a rope and shouting at somebody or saying something that berates or demands or destroys their character for the sake of building up your own, for the hope that you would be seen in a better light and that person would be diminished or crushed. And the rope that we stand behind, when Bubba said that, I was like, man, what, like, there are ropes in our lives. Like, some of us use the First Amendment, hello, I should be allowed to say anything that I have, no. listen, 300 years ago, if we didn't have the First Amendment, you would be killed by a king for saying some things that you probably shouldn't have said, or the church. So, we need the First Amendment. But, when we idolize it and turn it into a God thing and start to worship it for the fact of, I should be allowed to say whatever I want, whenever I want, without any repercussion or any kind of accountability, that is wrong and not okay. Some of us use that as our rope. Some of us use our personalities and the excuse of our personalities as a rope. As, you know, this is how I always am. I don't ever use a filter. And if you have your feelings hurt around me, then that's your problem. Well, first of all, that's just you being angry. And second of all, your rope just shows that you're mean. So don't be mean. Basically, the rope that we stand behind is an excuse that we give in order to use language that breaks down other people. And so what, are we gonna, what, what kind of language, what kind of speech comprises speech that breaks people down? Well, we see Proverbs break this down a little bit for us. The first kind of speech that we see is perverse speech. Perverse speech. In Proverbs 4.24, it says, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. When I was a kid... My mom would use this old adage that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, my mom did a great job raising us. Like, I'm not saying that because I'm awesome. I'm saying, like, we could have ended up so terrible. My mom did a great job. And one of the tools that she used was this old adage. Stop saying that or I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. 
I'm sure, how many of you have done that to your kids? But don't raise your hand in here. Don't say that. I'll, I'll report you. <laughs> so one time I crossed the line at a, uh, I crossed the line in a restaurant, right? Said something. Mom said, stop. Didn't. She said, all right, let's go. She walked me up and I was expecting like a bar of soap in the mouth, but she went over to like the Purell hand pump, got the liquid soap out of there and just like shoved it in my mouth. I'm like crying in the bathroom. I'm sorry. And there's bubbles coming out and everything. And <laughs> In the midst of that, like I still have that memory and I still remember that because whatever, I don't remember what I was saying, but I sure remember to put that away from me. I remember to remove that from me because later on my mother would go on to explain, hey, these, these things are, are vile. These things are bad for you. They don't serve any purpose other than their badness and hopefully, or in the event of you saying them, you're trying to build yourself up. Proverbs says to put those things away. And actually, Proverbs has a list of six or seven things that, that it says that God hates and one of them is a perverse tongue. Listen to chapter 8, verse 13. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Perverted speech I hate. So the next time, men, that you're gathered around other dudes at the office or out of the job site or whatever, and the opportunity arises for you to make that joke that would sell it right here and people would like you more and that punchline would be a win, is it perverse? Is it something that would build up someone else's character or your relationship with your friends? Or is it an illusion? Would it really break it down? The second kind of speech that we see is lying, lying speech. In chapter 14, verse 5, it says, But a false witness, which is a liar, breathes out lies. Can everybody say, a liar lies? A liar lies. Now go watch Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. It's a funny movie. Um, social media is like the most acceptable, again, I'm going to talk about this a lot this morning. Social media is like the most acceptable platform and form of lying, okay? You can create a social media account with a, with a profile picture that looks nothing like you with descriptors of your age, your height, your weight, your eye color, all that stuff that's nothing like you. And you can have a world of people who will scroll by and think that you're an actual person. You might actually be able to communicate some serious things on social media that are completely false, like this. You'll see pictures like this. Use the force, Luke, which is a Star Wars term. Signed, Dumbledore, which is from Harry Potter, and that's Patrick Stewart from Star Trek. Those don't go together, okay? That's the biggest lie I've seen on the internet so far. You can have all of these things combining together, and what's the purpose? I mean, what is the purpose of a lie? Like, when was the last time you lied? Think about it. Don't say it out loud. The last time you had an opportunity to lie, I guarantee you the sole purpose of the lie was to preserve something for yourself. It was to preserve either your identity, it was to preserve uh, something that you were either hiding or you didn't want somebody to find out about, or it was to preserve, uh, to avoid conflict altogether. Proverbs says that a lying tongue is an abomination to the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Do you remember the fall? Let's back up to creation. God speaks, right, from our, from our um, Words Matter series. Like, God speaks and worlds are made and, and the world comes to fruition. God sees it and, it's, and calls it good. And then he creates Adam and he breathes life from his mouth into his lungs. And then he gives Adam Eve because it's not good for man to be alone. And then the enemy comes along and uses words to tempt them. And then rather to worship God, they went around to be God, disobeyed him. And then we have the fall. And then the Lord comes to Adam and seeks him out with his words, says, where are you? Where are you? And then the first thing that Adam uses in the falls is words to say it's the woman's fault. She is the one who betrayed me. It's the woman you gave me. And from that point on, we have used our mouths in such a way to lie to preserve ourselves. How did, how did you feel the last time you were lied to? Did you feel loved? Did you feel full of value? 
Did you feel worth? Probably not. Lying is speech that only breaks down. It does not build up. It creates the illusion of safety and the illusion of building yourself up in reality. It breaks everyone around you down. The third kind of speech we see is slandering speech. Slandering speech. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 18, it says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a way club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Someone who lies about someone else, who defames somebody's name. It's just lying that lashes out against someone else. In chapter 26, verses 18 through 19, it says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking, right? I'm just kidding. I didn't mean it. Slander is often, a slander is a different, more fancy word that we would probably use this with sarcasm today. Sarcasm. Slander is tearing down somebody else and saying something falsely about them to diminish or demean their character. My wife and I interned under a worship pastor in northern Colorado many years ago. His name was Terry. I love this man, and he has spoken and done worlds for my life. And one of the first things that I remember him saying, because I was very sarcastic when I was younger, and I still am, and God help me with this, but I will never forget what Terry said. He said, sarcasm is so easy because it always comes at the expense of someone else. It, it always costs someone else everything and you nothing because you get to walk all over their reputation and their, and their name and and you get to lift yourself up in light of that. That's slander. When was the last time that you were comfortable with speaking down on somebody? Listen, we have all been created in the image and the likeness of God. I don't care what you do for a living, what the color of your skin is, or what your last name is. You have not walked in the kingdom of God and are not living in that life if you are slandering other people, especially based on those three identifiers. If we use our words to break down people because they're different than us, because there's something that doesn't make sense about the way that they live, or because we simply maybe haven't stopped and asked enough questions, that is speech that breaks down. That is the tongue that brings death and not life. Another kind of speech that we see is gossiping speech. Gossiping. Chapter 17, verse 9, But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Dr. David Jeremiah basically says that this is referring to somebody who repeats, repeatedly offends, uh, speaking poorly against somebody else, behind their back, no less. Gossip is an old word. It's like Middle English that starts with Godship. It was a very, it was a very uh, uplifting and positive terminology. It was kind of the word that we draw like Godfather or Godmother from. But then it became being about somebody who talks poorly of the family, even though they're not related. And then it eventually shifted over, you know, a hundred something, couple hundred years, half a cent. Half of a thousand years, half a millennia, that's the word, to become gossip, which wasn't just a person who talked about it, but actually the act of talking poorly about somebody else. Gossip is saying behind somebody's back something you'd never say to their face, something you would never say to their face. I read a book once, I think it was Louis Giglio, and he was talking about a guy who came into his office. He's like, hey, I need to talk to you about, about Jerry. Jerry is, is terrifying. And he's like, wait, hold up, hold up, come with me. And he walks him all the way over to an office, opens the door, and says, Hey, Jerry, this guy wants to talk to you. Slams the door shut and leaves him in there. Imagine that the next time you tried to gossip about somebody. No, that's exactly what that is. And, and that was a good rule for that pastor to be like, Hey, if you've got something to say about somebody, like just so you know, I'm going to tell them everything that you're telling me. Nothing will be in confidence because I am not going to share in that with you. Oftentimes, more than not, the reason you are telling somebody something 
about someone else, not to their face, is because it's not positive, because it breaks it down. And listen, my wife and I have not lived in Poplar Bluff for more than like eight years. We call it home when people ask where we're from. We say Missouri. And however, I've, even though Poplar Bluff is a growing city, we're still a very small rural community. And my wife and I have never been part of a community where everybody knows everyone and everything about every other person. And in that community, listen, Proverbs 18.8 says the words of a whisperer, a gossiper, they're like delicious morsels. It's like something that tastes good and feels good. And when you know, when you have dirt on everybody, oh, it, it is so easy and it feels so good to go around and be like, well, did you hear about so-and-so and what's going on in their family? It's about time. He's deserved that because he's a jerk to everybody else. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so's business? Well, it's going under because they are X, Y, and Z. That I cannot tell you how prevalent it is, and I have engaged with it just as much as the next person. When you know so much about so many people, it becomes a great temptation to be able to throw those people under the bus. But that is the kind of community and transparency that the gospel calls us to. The gospel calls us to be a community where we share and know all of, of what's going on in each other's lives and we come and choose the avenue of speaking life into one another. That yes, you're fully known and I know your junk and you know mine, but we fully love each other. How can I pray for you? How can I be there for you? Slandering speech, a gossiping tongue, and then lastly, flattering, a flattering speech is speech that breaks down. Um, flattery is like the greatest con artist of all time. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah says, gossip is saying behind a person's back what you'd never say to their face, and flattery is saying to their face what you'd never say behind their back. Like you're, you're building up their ego and you're lying to them with the hope of some kind of outcome. And Proverbs is, Solomon is so adamant about how awful this is that he, he, he alludes it to the idea of an adulteress, of somebody who is tempting a man to come off the street and leave his family and come into another woman. It basically says flattery is, is, well, I'll just read it to you. In chapter 6, verse 24, to preserve you from the smooth tongue of the adulteress with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. I struggle with this, with flattery, because of my personality. Like, I'm an Enneagram too, so everyone around me, I need to get them to like me and to love me. So I will lie straight to your face about how great I think you are if you're just going to give me what I think I need and want. I'm really bad about this. So if you see me doing that, be like, hey, are you really, do you mean that or not really? But do we do, we do that? Do we do that as people? Like, to, because flattery is very easy to use, almost like it is to use with... Um, with lying, flattery is a very easy way to kind of skirt around arguments and get around things that are very hard to talk about. To basically brush conflict under the rug, you can use flattery and say, everything's fine. No, I'm okay. Work was okay. Yeah, no, we're fine. Uh, you know, fill in the blank there. What are we avoiding? Is that the kind of speech? Out of all of these things, what, what do we identify with? And I'll just be honest with you. I probably violated all five of these types of speech before I got in the pulpit this morning. And you did too before you came in here. So how do we get around this? All of these are symptoms of a heart condition. All of these are symptoms of a heart condition that Augustine, a guy who, excuse me, an early church father in the 300s, communicated to be pride. He said, pride is the mother of all sin, for she is pregnant with all the rest. Pride is this source that gives birth to slander and gossip and lying and perverse speech and all of these things, flattery. So what is the condition of our heart? Is pride at the center of our motivation? Because pride demands the destruction of others. 
Just look around, look around at your relationships in your life. Are people, are people built up or broken down around you? Does your speech destroy others or does it build them up? Listen, the kid's side sentence was not like a joke this morning. It means just as much for us as it does for, for the families in this building. My words are a tool to be wise, not a fool. And Solomon equates each of these that is tied to pride that break people down as foolishness, language of the fool. So what does it look like to have a tongue that builds up? Let's look at that for a moment. A tongue that builds up. Well, there is speech just like that, just like for the tongue that breaks down. There is speech that we can see throughout Proverbs that builds up. The first one we see is righteous speech. Righteous speech. In Proverbs chapter chapter 10, verses 11 and 20, it says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The tongue of the righteous is like valuable metals, like choice silver. So we're getting into language now that's not just like actions. It's not just, hey, don't lie. Hey, don't do this. Don't, don't cheat. Don't gossip about other people. But we're actually getting into words like righteousness, which is heart language. You guys remember a few, a few weeks back, we talked about wisdom, yes, requiring head knowledge, but it also has to move to the heart and become heart knowledge, and then it's shared knowledge. That's what this righteousness is. It's head knowledge that has become heart knowledge that we share with those around us. And if we go through that list that we just went through of like lying and gossiping and all the things that break down, and we just say, okay, I need to not lie. Okay, I'm about to, I'm about to uh, gossip. I need to not gossip. I'm about to slander. That just becomes legalism. And that becomes us trying to achieve righteousness in our own standing by what we do or what we don't do. But 2 Corinthians tells us that righteousness has been physically given to us, that we are now seen as and can behave as righteous because of Jesus. It says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That when Christ accomplished what he accomplished on the cross and rose from the grave. This righteousness that was fully his and not mine at all was given, as R.C. Sproul would say, was imputed to us, that it becomes something as though we earned it even though we did not. It was given to us by grace. And now from that righteousness can flow wisdom and good talk that builds up, that speaks life. And Solomon goes on to say that in, in Solomon goes on to say that that when we speak righteously, it actually brings more wisdom. It brings more wisdom to the table. In chapter ten, verse thirty-one, it says, "The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom." It, it's also something that discerns well. Like one of the things that God gave Solomon when He gave him all of His vast wisdom, one of the descriptors was, and He gave him a discerning mind to be able to discern between good and evil, and right and wrong, and to figure out how to handle a situation. And I fall in that category all the time. What do I do here? I'm not sure what to say or what to do. Wisdom can guide us in those moments. If the purpose and the goal of the wisdom from our mouths is to build somebody up, and the purpose is to speak righteousness, then wisdom flows in that and grows and grows in that. Um, This is a picture of my uncle. Um, And yes, that's me on the right. It's a long time ago, my hair. Um, I spoke with him on the phone this week and uh, just wanted to stay in touch with him um, and ask him about uh, his experience in pastoral ministry over the last few decades. And he said, look, Tyler, you can't fix anybody. And 
I said, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, you, you can't go through life, and regardless whether, whether it's your family, your wife, your kids, um, people that you're responsible over in terms of ministry or that you're pastoring over in your church, you can't, it's not your job to fix their problems. It's not your job to fix what's going on in their hearts. He's like, I've just noticed over time that I can listen. My job is to listen, and my job is to speak a good word to them in a timely season. And I thought, that's, that's good news for me to hear. One, it takes the pressure off, right? Like, we're not responsible for everyone and everything. But two, like, the yoke and the burden is easy and light. It's how, what can I speak to you that's good news and that's true? And how can I pray for you? That's good news for me because I try to fix everything. I try to, like, be in control of everything. And, and that is wonderful news. But I also want to encourage you and let you know that that's not just, like, a pastoral thing. It's not just the pastorate job. Like, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says, hey, like, God gave you your pastors so that they could teach you how to speak that good news into other people's lives. So they could, they could teach you to be trained up for the work of the ministry. So it's not us, so it's not your pastors that are, that are solely responsible for praying for getting with you guys, but it's actually you are trained up to be able to call up your friend at 2 a.m. and say, hey, I heard about the diagnosis. I'm so sorry. How can I pray for you? Hey, I know things are tough right now. What can we do to help you guys? I'm so sorry for the loss of your loved one. I'll pray for you. God gave you grace and the ability to move throughout your life with your friends and your family and the relationship around you to be a light in the darkness for you to do the work of the ministry, for you to pray for your friends and your family, for you to reach out. And the only well that we have that provides for that is the wisdom of Christ. The second kind of speech that we see that builds up is restoring speech. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, it says, A gentle tongue is like a tree of life. And in verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath. A restoring, or, um, yeah, a restoring, restoring tongue. Maybe the next time you find yourself in a heated argument where you're lashing out at one another, you're tempted to shout at your child or spew insults at your, at your spouse. Solomon says that there's wisdom in, in not just changing what you say, but how you say it. He says there's wisdom in a soft and gentle answer, that you can change the entire outcome and course of an argument or a discussion if you just tone it down a little bit. And if you are the one who takes that step, that's wise. That's wisdom. We don't do it for the hope of an outcome. We just do it because, it's, because out of obedience and out of wisdom, with the hope to love the other person and to care for them and to build them up. Not to make a, not to make a point, but to make a difference. Not just to make a point, but to make a difference. So ask yourself that next time in the midst of conflict. Is the goal of my speech to be right or to restore? To make a point or to make a difference? And the third kind of speech that we see that builds up is restrained speech or no speech at all. 
In chapter 10, verse 19, it says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Prudent just means to show care or thought for the future. Listen, Solomon just said that where you talk, whenever you're talking a lot, you're likely sinning. So pray for the preachers. Pray for people who get up here and just run their mouths for 35 minutes, okay? No, but seriously, in the midst of your life, if you find yourself rambling and running down a road and chasing a thought or just communicating off the cuff how something makes you feel with no regard for anyone else around you other than yourself you are likely sinning and breaking down someone else for the sake of, of building up yourself. And Solomon says, look, sometimes saying nothing is the best choice. Saying nothing is the best move. Is it the right time to present this? Would it be some, something that a wise person does to respond in such a way? Think about that the next time that you have an opportunity to respond, either to, to great news or to small news. Is it a good time to say this? Is it a bad time to say this? Sometimes we live in a society where more is more, right? Like more on the boat, more money in the bank, more everything is better. Sometimes less is more, especially in, especially in cooking, especially in, sorry, I used to work in kitchens, especially in speech, all right? Sometimes there are things that we can say much less of that don't even need to be said. And Solomon says that that is counted as wisdom and with acknowledging the future. And the cool thing about this is that you can't restrain your tongue. You can't have restrained speech on your own. It just becomes legalism or you just fail at it. It's interesting to me that Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13 and says that part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, is halting when you want to continue. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control control. You can't say no to the cake in the fridge without the Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit and the fruit within that allows you to have self-control. With the wisdom of Christ inside of us, personified, the Holy Spirit guiding us and speaking righteousness and wisdom, can we practice some self-control? Let's practice some self-control this week. You say, okay, if a tongue breaks down, and that's a problem in our hearts. If our tongue breaks others down, what can we use as a gauge to see if our hearts are used for a tongue to build up? What kind of gauge can we use to see whether or not our hearts are breaking others down? Well, the graciousness of your speech. A good gauge for your heart is the graciousness of your speech. Am I building up? Am I breaking down? Is my speech restrained, righteous? Is it um, restoring, excuse me? Or is it one of the other descriptors that breaks down? And then I think we'll have a good idea as to where we are at in this thing. Proverbs 15, 26 says, Gracious words are pure. Gracious words are pure. And you cannot be spiritually mature and wise and be emotionally immature and foolish. The biggest proponent of change in our lives will be submission to the Holy Spirit and obedience to God's word. I'm going to close with the source of our speech. And I'm just going to ask three simple questions as the band comes to lead us in a time of response. Proverbs 16.20 says, A man who gives thought to a matter will find good. doesn't mean he'll solve it. doesn't mean he'll figure out and solve all the problems of the universe and the world by giving thought to a matter. It just means he'll find good. And what I'd like for us to do is to find the source of our own speech this morning and this week. Ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself first, is, is it the right tone? Do I have the right tone? Proverbs 15.1 says again, a soft answer turns away wrath, 
We've said this over and over and over again. You can say the right thing at the right time and have the wrong tone. And even though you're right, you are most certainly wrong. Solomon tells us that it's not just what we say, but how we say it that matters. Ask yourself, do I have the right tone? When I approach my spouse, when I approach my kids, when I approach my parents or my friends or family members, anyone else around me, what kind of tone do I resonate, either specifically in the context of a conversation or outside of that? Do I have the right tone? Secondly, is this the right time? In Proverbs 15.23, it says, To make an apt answer or a good answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Is it the right time? Remember, God gave you your pastors so that you could do the work of the ministry. So that you could go around and speak a good word in a good season to your friends and your family, to those around you, in your community group, in your pods. Is this the right time? And then lastly, is my heart tender? Is my heart tender? Proverbs 15, 17 says, Better is a dinner of herbs, or just like salad, where love is, than a meal with a fattened ox full of people who hate each other. Is my heart tender? Do I walk through life emotionally compassionate towards those around me, or do I bulldoze my way through hoping that nobody does the wrong thing and irritates me or sets me off? Am I tender in heart? All of these are great litmus, litmus tests for us to be able to align ourselves with, with speech that builds up or breaks down. Solomon has given us great principles, and we know that Jesus lived this way. But we also know that we are invited to live this way because of who God is and what He has done and invited us into with Christ. So can we stand to our feet this morning and remember that having the wisdom of Christ means speaking the love of Christ in all that we do. And can we pray aloud together as the Lord personified wisdom, Jesus Christ, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good news. We pray this week that you would open our eyes to whether or not our speech builds up or breaks others down. Reveal pride to us in our hearts and may everything we do, everything we speak and say be from a position and motivation of love to know that having the wisdom of Christ inside of us means that we have the love of Christ pouring out of us. Help us in our speech and our words. We ask it all in the living name of the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen.